Hey everyone, welcome to Work in Progress podcast. This is episode four. I'm one of your lovely hosts, Alan Wynn, and my co-host here, Min Pham. Say hi. Howdy, folks. Yeah, I uh, hope everyone's doing all right. Uh, I think uh, Min's got some interesting topics today, so I'll let him uh, take it away from here. Yeah. So both of us have been in the job market at least a, a little bit in kind of different shapes and forms over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I thought for today's episode, we would talk a little bit about that, at least to start. Uh, our own personal experiences having interviewed in the last couple of weeks and just how that's gone. Alan, you want to start us off? Yeah, cool. That's that's a good topic. Uh, like Min said, uh, I've been sort of hopping in and out of job interviews uh, this last couple of weeks. And uh, let me tell you, it's, it's been a roller coaster. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how interviewing has changed since, uh, especially, you know, having eight years on my resume now doing software engineering versus I'm coming straight out of college. Uh, one, one of the, the biggest changes I've noticed so far is that, uh, I'm not being asked as often for these sort of like these, these gotcha questions of basic algorithms. Uh, and oh. that, that's, that's pretty interesting because one of my, my biggest fears going into interviewing these days is I don't, I, I can't confidently say that, you know, I know what the, the best sorting algorithm is and <laughs> what, what the pros and cons of each one are compared to the other. And so, you know, that was, that was my biggest concern because it's, I can't tell you when the last time I even wrote a sort algorithm was. Yeah. I don't think anybody actually writes sorting algorithms anymore. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure uh, you use nice little sort methods on, on various utilities these days. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> like, I, I'll write you a sort algorithm. Can I import this other library? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go, right? Just call, why? Just call dot sort. What's so wrong? Yeah. What's wrong with that, right? Why, yeah. why reinvent the wheel? But yeah, no, like my, my very first interview coming out of college, like first question I got was, tell me about, you know, your favorite sorting algorithm and why and, you know, what, what, what's the performance <laughs> uh, implications of that sort algorithm? You know, coming out of college, that was fresh in my mind because I just took classes around it, right? Yeah. You ask me that now, I can't tell you. Let yeah. me Google it. Um, can, can we just like pause for a minute and just just think about how ridiculous that is as like an interview question? Tell me about your favorite sorting algorithm. What? Who? <laughs> who on earth has a favorite sorting algorithm? I don't actually answer that. I know there are people who do. <laughs> Bubble sort. <laughs> yeah. Because Clearly. I'm just bubbly, right? <laughs> Clearly. But yeah, no, like, I don't, like, what's, maybe there's a point to that question. I just don't know it. But, you know, I'll, I'll, maybe that's an appropriate question for someone coming out of school, right? Mm -hmm. To make sure that they, they actually learned some of the, the, the basic things. I don't even know if that's considered basic these days. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm receiving different questions as a, eight-year veteran as a software engineer and whether I'm a great engineer that's a whole different topic <laughs> uh, but like some of the questions some of the questions I'm being asked now are definitely more focused on people 
a lot of people-centric mm. questions, you know, like uh, how more, more specifically I'm being asked, you know, what, what are some of the struggles you faced, you know, trying to mentor another engineer? Oh, that's so and, real. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I don't, and this, this kind of goes back to a previous uh, episode that we had around, you know, what makes a good senior engineer. And, you know, a lot of the positions I'm applying for are more senior level positions. And the, the questions reflect that. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, I was just talking with a gentleman yesterday about this, uh, this exact thing, like kind of expectations towards like the different levels. And uh, it was funny because like he was actually applying for like a staff engineer role. Um, the the difference is like for a lot of organizations, I think some uh, I think candidates or engineers on the outside, we tend to think about it as just like regular engineering roles. But in all actuality, there's a lot to do with like the type of company it is. Right. So like just as an example, like a small startup is going to need very, very different things from a very senior engineer. Right. You might not actually have a lot of people to mentor or, or level up, so to speak. Uh, but you're really, really leaned on to to kind of make very fast snap decisions, snap judgments, and and kind of set the direction for for engineering in the future. You know? Yeah, yeah, uh, completely agree with that. You know, a lot of companies that I've interviewed this round are mostly startups, and a lot of the questions that they are asked also aren't related to mentoring specific. It's it's the more it's the the companies that have themselves situated in the market that ask those yeah. questions, right uh, a lot of the the questions that i get from startups are more around you know how do you balance uh speed with quality right oh because yeah that, that's a very Classic. real problem that startups deal with because yeah. they need to get mvp out the door they need to ship something for a client they don't necessarily have time to focus on doing it the right way. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I've heard a lot of engineers um, answer that question about like, because there, there's like that classic triangle, right? There's there's the quality, the features, and the speed uh, or, or cost, right? And you can only pick two ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. I hear a lot of engineers who answer in, in the super definitive. They're like always features and always cost or always time and always cost or, or something like that, right? And I, I, maybe this is just me getting older, but there, I, I never feel like those absolute answers are satisfactory, you know, because there's so many different situations. And I think like the real answer for a lot of these companies is just that you understand the trade-offs and you're willing to make them depending on the situation. Yeah. It's, it's very highly context specific. Yeah. Like there's not, there's not a way that you can just blanket like, well, I would always pick speed and, and features, you know, because right. I like to, I like to finish everything that's given to me and I like doing it fast and on time. It's like, well, there's going to be times where that's not exactly possible or, oh, you yeah. know, what, whatever your, whatever your answer, whatever the two that you pick. Right. Right. Like, I mean, the example you gave was speed and features. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the that's an ideal answer if you know the company is is trying to get to market asap like, right <laughs> who cares who cares about the cost just get it out the door out there. yeah but then you, you might have a company who's looking for you know 
cost reductions and speed, in which case it's like they, they are on money constraints, so they're not going to you know, throw that constraint out the door. Right. So, uh, you know, again, it's, it's very highly context specific to whatever com the company's needs are at the time. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's one of those like non answers, but it feels like also the most appropriate, you know, where, uh, it really comes down to like, actually, it really depends on whatever the situation is, you know, mm -hmm. if, I, if you were given that question now, what would you answer? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I would say exactly that I'd be like, well, I think it's very context dependent, you know, I think my goals uh, looking at that kind of a situation would be to assess like what the needs are, right? What what are the needs of the business in this particular scenario? Are we in a cost savings mode? A great example is right when uh, COVID hit, a lot of companies went through this. They needed to get their cash position um, just in a better spot, right? That's both timely and there's like a time component of there and there's the, the cost component there that you really, really have to... Um, dial in right and so like personally when i was uh, a few months back i literally made that decision i was like okay well we're going to prioritize these things because they will save us money and we can get them out fast you know it's kind of low-hanging fruit that that mm -hmm. uh, will save us a lot of money um and then exactly opposite of that right sometimes there is a really really cool um uh, trade show that maybe your company wants to take a part of, right? Where it's all about flash and all about the the, the shiny, right? Uh, those yeah. are times where, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to put your best foot forward. And even if, even if it's being, you know, hacked together on the back, doesn't matter because mm -hmm. uh, the trade show is about marketing. It's about like, it's about being able to, so I guess to summarize, it's really about putting yourself in, the perspective of like being a business person and really being able to think and ask if you don't know it, what the most important things are for the business in that scenario. Right. And then you yep. prioritize accordingly. So, so I'm, I'm going <laughs> to get to that, that business person mindset here in a second, but I wanted yeah. to add in like for, for me as an engineer, what you, you should be doing uh, is, you know, to, to, to your point is assessing what the company's needs are, right? Yep. And for, for you to present a solution, I you'd probably want to offer up multiple solutions and present the risks for each one, right? Because depending on what you want to do, you're going to have to sacrifice something else. And to, to put that forward to whoever your, your manager is or whoever is making higher level decisions above your pay grade, like that's good information <laughs> to know. Um, and so getting back to the business, uh, mindset there as an engineer, it's not something that I've necessarily put myself in a position of often. How would you suggest someone sort of know what questions to ask, given that their Ooh. primary role isn't doing the business aspects of the business? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think this is a, I think that that's a really, really interesting question. Um, there's, there's a couple of things, I guess, like, uh, my mind goes to two things, uh, first one is that you might feel like you don't spend a lot of time in those circles and you don't have a lot of context around there. 
what I have noticed is that most companies, those are the, the kinds of like meetings and discussions um, that really give you a lot of business context. Those are optional or they tend to be very optional or they tend to be the kinds of meetings that you have a lot of peers just kind of zone out on, you know, mm -hmm. you hop into the call and then you guys hop into a Slack room or a DM group and then you're like, oh my God, what the heck is going on here? Is anybody <laughs> even listening? Channels. Yeah, the back <laughs> channels, right? Uh, I think there. I think that companies, first of all, just as a general thing, I do think a lot of companies out there do actually try to provide a little bit more of that. It's just you have to go out and seek it, you know, and mm -hmm. you have to be open to hearing it, listening to it, and, and really... Uh, bringing like positive intent to it, you know, um, mm. you're, you're not going to get anything out of it if you're sitting there and you're just bitter about everything and every sentence that comes out of somebody's mouth, you're already thinking like, well, that's obviously not true or, oh, great, we're all going to lose our jobs in two months. Like that, like that kind of thinking <laughs> is going to uh, hamper your ability to actually like take in the context and then just treat it as data, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, to, to your point, you need to have intent to be there. Why, why are you even there? Right, know. exactly. You, you need that, that element of content. Right, yeah, like given that, you know, these meetings, as you said, tend to be optional, why, why are you attending if you're not listening and, you know, forming opinions around the right. things happening, right? Um, and that's not to say you should come with, you know, questions because you don't know what you don't know. Right. right. If, if this is your first couple meetings, you won't know what to ask. You won't know like what's, what's happening. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if the intent is to just gather information, that's fine. Yeah. But, you know, as you grow, as you attend more of these meetings, you'll start to see how, uh, the business is operating and, you know, what, what sort of, uh, pieces are in play. Mm -hmm. And once you have that understanding, you can go into the next meeting and start asking questions. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's where you lose a lot of people too. Uh, yeah. because <laughs> how, how many meetings is it going to take for you to actually, you know, feel comfortable with asking business questions? Right. right. You, you know, I think that that's so, that's such an understated, uh, point there because like, yeah, Okay, let's let's take this as let's break this down into like a very real uh, example for a minute. Like if I'm somebody who's just been an engineer and I've never really um, paid attention to this and suddenly let's say my manager is telling me that I have to right? I have to pay attention to this so that I can bring more business sense into the things that I'm talking about or the decisions I'm making. I, I tell him, okay, I'm going to do that. It's going to take a while for you to build up that kind of context, right? business people live and breathe that on a daily basis it's their job that's like you, you know that's that's how they get good at thinking about the business thinking about the business's needs and things like that and the market and all of that right yeah. just like it you didn't become an engineer overnight when you suddenly decided you were going to learn how to code you're also not going to be a great business person when you suddenly realize that you have to pay attention to that thing to to those facets you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it and, will take time yeah yeah seriously and you know don't just sit there and zone out <laughs> like i'm i'm so guilty of that <laughs> like, if you're ever in a meeting yeah. with me just 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 watch my <laughs> face on the camera you could see the the different lights coming on my face because i'm switching tabs yeah but there, there there's a lot to gain from actually paying attention um whether yeah. you'll actively use that information or not that's completely up to you. Um, but yeah, no, I, 
<laughs> like I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, like having been in different roles, uh, I never understood the value of me being in those meetings <laughs> and, until, until I was sort of put in a position where I needed to make decisions. Right. Yeah. And yeah. then you're, and then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're finding yourself, I don't have this information. Who do I go to? Mm -hmm. And they'll be like, it was, it was, we, we talked about it in that call last week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And to be honest, like those are a lot of the situations that like those, those are sort of like best case scenarios, you know, where you are given that kind of context or they told you like, Hey, you know, this is, you know, that we talked about that last week or like the standing meeting that we have actually covers some of that. Uh, you, you don't tend to realize that until, until like there's a complete absence of it and you actually have to go and seek out information and seek out people mm -hmm. specifically, you know? So it's not only paying attention to like what's going on there, but who's there, who's mm -hmm. there, who's talking, who's not talking. And that clues you in to your Oregon who, who kind of has the context, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I find it more difficult to get all that context as as the organization gets bigger. Absolutely. You think, you think about startups, you have small team, less than 10, 15 people. Every, everyone's essentially in every meeting. You get context everywhere. Everyone has the same information. Everyone's operating under the same set of data right yeah but as as the organization grows as as teams start tackling different problems that context gets built up and that's you know a big role or a big responsibility of sort of what the team leads or the managers do is is syncing each team up with these these goals and making sure each team understands yeah. their role in that 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 path right yeah we we have a uh we we have a nice fancy word for that uh alignment if you guys want a, a good word to drop in in an interview especially in any kind of a leadership capacity alignment that's a really good one that a lot of companies are looking for that you uh, looking for your ability to understand you know mm -hmm. because how, it's how so do, critical yeah how do you how do you ensure alignment across your product teams your customer success teams and your engineering teams that's yeah. that's a good question you should ask in interviews yeah that'll give you a sense of of how the organization communicates and the 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 thought that they put into uh that you know into alignment and getting everybody moving in the same direction uh much easier said than done <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah yeah. <laughs> I know we spoke a little bit about Conway's law last, yeah. last episode, but this, I, I think this ties back into it too. It's like, if, if you don't have alignment in your teams, then your, your code's probably going to be very dis disparate, disparate. Yeah. I can't English. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's not part of my job responsibility. Yeah. Right. That, that was never on a, a job description. <laughs> actually, actually it is now be able to communicate clearly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, and I, I, I do want to preface like for, for anybody that is listening and feeling like, oh my gosh, that's even more stuff that I have to do. I, as we're saying this, like, we don't really mean it to be like, this is how you have to be in every organization and in every role. Uh, I'm going to be the first to admit, like there are times and, um, particularly tenureships to where I'm not interested anymore 
and and I just fall out of interest with keeping up with those kinds of things, right? Because it is it is a lot of stress and it is a lot of um, just weight, you know, mm -hmm. to to have to pay attention to all of these details, to really put on your like business cap all the time, thinking about like it, it's very exhausting. And I don't mean to say that everyone out there owes it to their company to do that. I I, I do want to just make the point, though, is that if you really want to sort of unlock the secret to, to kind of becoming a valuable uh, employee and, and moving up and all of that, a huge piece of that is the business context, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with that business context, you have historical understanding of how... The company got to where it is how the code got to where it is yeah and once you have that understanding it's so much easier to to navigate problems and solving that problem within the system that you're operating in yep and you know that that comes with time with any company no matter how how great of an engineer you are or yeah product person it, it it does take time to build up that that business context i'll uh i'll, I'll give you a a, a real example that um, I've, I've been through um, about the difference that that kind of business context makes. Uh, a previous jump, uh, previous company job, <laughs> previous company. Uh, I, I worked with two very, very senior engineers. One was just there for a really long time, arguably not as strong of an engineer, I would say, than, than this other peer. Uh, this other peer uh, joined around the same time I did. And they were much, much more, uh, much more technically capable. Um, new project came along, new, new feature came along. And in the course of building it, we had to kind of look at a legacy feature and decide what to do with it. Uh, the, the technically strong engineer was like, okay, well, we need to understand the history behind this feature. Why does it exist and all of that? And, and you know, it would have taken probably a good... Uh, at least a couple of weeks just to find people across the business and, and figure out what, why this even existed in the first place. The other guy, not nearly as strong, was like, oh, I was here when that was a thing. We don't need it anymore. We can just delete the entire feature. We don't need to spend any time retrofitting it or, or any of that at all. So that just kind of gives you a, a very plain sense that like that business context has real value there. And if you accrue it over time, if you pay attention and accrue it over time, you will drive a lot of value for whatever company it is you're working for. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that, that sort of reminds me of, of an idea that's been in my head around, around different personality types and, the, the value they bring to the company. Like you, you spoke about, you know, how your, your peer was very technically strong, but did not have the business context. And that reminded me of something I read. I can't remember where I read it, but um, <laughs> how you, you will, I guess they described it as, you know, you have your rock stars and then your superstars. Oh. One of the, one of those roles is the, the one that's just going to just take off right? They're, mm -hmm. they're going to be able to jump in and just get the most badass implementation of whatever, right? <laughs> but then you have your, your other role where they're, they're not as, you know, I, I'm just going to say the word fast. I, I don't think that's the right word for it, but they're, they're, they're more stable. They're not, they're not gonna, they're not looking to necessarily just 
power through everything, but you know what they can bring to the table. They bring some level of stability. Yeah. Um, and, you know, whether you're the, the type of person to be able to jump into a complex problem and solve it, or you're the type of person who is able to just execute consistently over time, those are two very valuable roles in any company and they are both needed to succeed. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, because if, if that, that superstar who goes and implements the most ridiculous thing ends up leaving, you still have the people you can rely on with consistency to yeah. sort of hold, hold the line until you can bring someone else in to, to sort of, you know, backfill. And, you know, part of my, you know, I've been interviewing for a little bit here. Part of my coming to terms with who I am is I'm not that, that superstar anymore. Like I, maybe back four or five years ago, <laughs> I can come in and just knock things out the door. But I think now my, my strength comes in, uh, you know, building business context, understanding decisions and being able to consistently perform. Like I'm not yeah. going to, I'm not going to shatter any records or, yeah. you know, just completely knock out eight point stories. Yeah. But you can probably count on me for a consistent five points per iteration. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's those, those people like me who, who end up being able to, you know, go back and say, I was there when this was built, we probably don't need it anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I really, uh, I really like a couple of like, there, there was a little, a couple of nuggets that you mentioned there that I, I really, really, uh, resonate with. One of them is that you mentioned strengths, right? And you you also mentioned that you're not the person anymore that could uh, that that would want to do that, right? Um, in in management, I I probably uh, learned about my favorite representation or or not representation but perspective on strengths and weakness um, through a manager training. I so according to that that model, a strength isn't just things that you're good at or things that you're you're or you know. On the the flip side, a weakness is not things that you're bad at, or things that you can't do. In fact, a strength and weakness, as uh, the the management paradigm defines it, is simply things. A strength is things that make you feel strong, capable, confident as you do them. And then a weakness is the opposite of that. Anything that you find draining or just exhausting or puts you in a bad headspace as you're doing it, right? And I think that's very much the an apt descriptor for what you were talking about. It's not that you couldn't knock out an eight point story, uh, you know, on on short notice or dive in really really deep on something crazy that nobody uh, nobody else understands, right? It's mm -hmm. just not something you want to do anymore, right? And right. and it's not that you can't. It's just that you have no joy in doing that anymore, right? I mean, maybe it's not necessarily joy specifically. It could also just be priorities in life have shifted, right? Yeah. Like, work-life balance, you could yeah, say. Yeah, work-life balance. Right? I, like, oh, I, think that that's, I think that that's a huge piece of it, you know? And, and I think that that's something really, really cool about uh, kind of moving forward in your career. You start to formulate your ideas and, and concepts around what you like to do, want to do, and absolutely just aren't going to do anymore. Like, personally, I'm not going to be a developer who is going to have to get up at, you know, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night 
and diagnose something. Like, I'm, I just don't want to be in those positions. So I'm going to avoid it like the plague. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I, I remember back in the day, you used to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that used to be my bread and butter. Yeah. Uh, that used to be my bread and butter. I uh, just, just funny aside there. I used to work with a group of uh, East Europeans, uh, Latvia, they were from, and uh, they were some of my favorite people. Very, very funny, very, very just uh, awesome humans to, to learn and be around. Um, while they were working in Latvia, uh, the time zone difference meant that they would start their day, I believe it was around like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Uh, I had a, at the time I had pr some pretty bad fits with like insomnia and I wasn't sleeping very well. And so there were days where I would literally just get up and start working with them at the start of their day. You know, <laughs> it made for some interesting conversations. <laughs> oh man. Which, which one caused the other? Your insomnia caused the, uh, <laughs> fun work nights or the fun work nights caused the insomnia? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'd like to think it's a little bit of A, a little bit of B. <laughs> oh, right right yeah uh, like and it's 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 funny because you know a, a lot of startups that that i've interviewed with they are just starting to get their their feet underneath them and part of that means getting mvp minimal minimum viable product out yep. the door which means they need to move fast and in, in my experience working with several startups now is that that has historically tended to mean uh, 60 hour work weeks. Yeah. I'm, I, I, my, my, my life looks drastically different than it was back <laughs> then. And so I know, I know I don't want to be, you know, working 60 hour work weeks. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, and I think that's part of just growing, not not just as an engineer, but as a person. It's like you have different priorities that play into how you react at work. Yeah. Um, so, a, you know, like yeah. what, what, whether you're, you know, a senior engineer or someone starting out, just understanding what your personal needs are uh, outside of work will help inform what you're looking for at work. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that it's one of those things that I, I guess I noticed this more so with um, like earlier, earlier career folks who are more okay putting that on the back burner uh, to, to, you know, just find any kind of employment, right? Like mm -hmm. I understand, um, like my heart goes out to you. Like I, I understand that the economic situation uh, there's real hardship there, right? There is real mm -hmm. hardship. So I, I don't ever want to look somebody in the eye and say like, no, I don't really think you should apply to all these jobs when you're in desperate need of a job, right? There is a very practical sense to that. Like if you need work, if you need money, income and all of that, yeah, you know, get what you can get. Um, I understand that. And at the same time, if you are in the kind of position where you have the luxury to pick and choose and and view a lot of companies and see what they have to offer yeah you absolutely should shoot for so many of those things that you know are going to be core to you that you're mm -hmm. going to need right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know full circle moment uh context matters yeah right <laughs> What's what what's what's part of your triangle that you can uh, pick and choose right now, right? Are you, yeah. are you looking for? But yeah, yeah, like absolutely, like 
right now I'm, I'm, you know, still luckily gainfully employed, but you know, I am looking for my next role. So that gives me the leeway to pick and choose. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I have a lot of leverage right now because I'm, I'm not really in a rush, but if something comes across my desk, that looks absolutely uh, interesting. Hell yeah. I'm going to yeah jump at it. <laughs> you know, like, uh, just just from my perspective, I feel like people people are where they are, and there there shouldn't be a lot of fear around just that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I guess what what I would say to folks out there is, even if you are thinking of leaving, you can always focus the conversation about why you're unhappy or what you're not getting, right? Mm -hmm. And and that is a very natural, normal conversation that people have to get comfortable having. You know, I, uh, in, in all of my past jobs, I've always focused on a lot of that where it's like, okay, I want you to know well ahead of time that these are the things that are bothering me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, so uh, this makes me think of like my, my last like formal review. Um, I, I, I and I love my boss at the time. I, I absolutely love my boss still do. Uh, they asked me a question at the end of my review cycle, and they were like, how, how happy are you here, working here? And I answered very truthfully. I was like, honestly, I'm like a six or a seven on some days. Like on really, really good weeks, I go up to like an eight or a nine. But uh, my average seems to be sitting at around like a six or a seven, you know? And then COVID happened, and then that dropped even lower, <laughs> right? And yeah. that prompted them to ask, like, well, why is that, right? And I told them, it was like, well there's something about this situation that that I'm just not finding like eight or nine, nine or 10 level of fun. Mm -hmm. It's like everything is everything is going well for me. I love the people I work with. I, I love the amount of autonomy I have to like do whatever I want to do. But something about this situation, I feel very six, seven, some days five about, you know? Mm -hmm. And and so months later when it finally came time for me to just say it like okay i think i'm going to resign there was no pain about that there was no surprise about that even you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know to again context specific right right and as as you as a person grows and understands more of what you want and what you don't want your needs are going to change the company may not change with you. They might change in the opposite direction. They might change with you as well. Um, and if the company is no longer serving uh, those needs and you don't think you can get those needs fulfilled at the company, there's nothing wrong in saying, I need to yeah. go look at, you know, something else. Um, and, you know, going back to your question around me doing the podcast, <laughs> um, you know, this, this does fulfill uh, a little bit of, some of the needs that I'm I'm not seeing or, or getting at my current employer. It's not to say that you know it's bad there. Uh, you know, there's there's plenty to love. Like I love working with the people I work with. Uh, I have some long-standing I would have hoped long-standing friendships with people there. Um, <laughs> you never knows? really know, right? <laughs> right. Um, but like you know, it's it's just uh, my my career path has taken me in a different direction, and unfortunately, it doesn't align with the company. Yeah. Right? Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. There's, uh, yeah. and, and I think that's, you know, goes back to 
what makes uh what makes you a good leader is understanding that it's okay it's okay that change is happening it's okay that you know and and recognizing that that you know your needs have changed yeah you know i i know the industry like managers in the industry get a bad rap but um, all of my management peers, the ones I really, really have uh, enjoyed working with and really, really respected, they're, all of them have told me in one way, shape, or form that when they work with people, they really want them to, to uh, they want to be able to contribute some kind of value to their, to their direct reports in some way, shape, or form, right? And if not, then they're more than happy to like watch them to push them to go and find some other place, person, or project that can, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, like, I, I, I really do mean that. Like, every manager that I've ever talked to that I've, I've really respected and enjoyed working with, they've all said that. And so they understand that, you know, you're only here for some amount of time, that hopefully in that time you're going to grow and you're going to get something out of it, but at the end of the day, they don't really want to just, you know, hold on to you and, and, and latch on to you and, and chain you down for, for forever. Mm-hmm. And so with that, armed with that kind of knowledge and armed with that kind of understanding, it's okay to start to really be okay with what you want, know what you want, and start to pursue it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as an engineer who's sort of been eyeballing a management role at some point uh in the future um i would imagine that when you bring someone on you're bringing them on with a specific set of skills and a specific set of needs that will fulfill or or you plan to have uh them fulfill for the company right and part of growing them as people means allowing them to explore uh what they think is needed in their careers whether you know it's going to be completely applicable at this role or not, but it keeps them engaged. It keeps them happy uh, at, at, you know, working for you. And at some point they're going to outgrow, you know, what, yeah. what you can offer. And as, as a manager, I would hope, I would hope that you are seeing this relationship with this employee who will eventually leave Yeah, and, and saying, look, we'll, you know, we'll, take from from you what we can but we'll also give to you what we can right right like it, it should be a mutually beneficial relationship yeah regardless and I think those are the most fulfilling uh, positions yeah uh, where, where that relationship has been been like that right absolutely absolutely you know I one of the very first things I learned as a manager was this really awesome framework that just got me to think about people differently. Uh, it's a coaching framework, and it's it's like the three A's. Uh, everything everything cool that you'll learn in life. There's like the three somethings, four of this, three of that, two of something. Like it's it's just it's always done in like little numbers like that. Makes it mm-hmm. uh, easy to remember. Uh, they call it the three A's, and it's around coaching. There's three things that you can coach people on: their ability, which is like the things that they can actually do, and and like how to do it. There's awareness which is like you have to coach them to be aware of, of uh, how they're doing something. Uh, this mm-hmm. tends to apply to like communication. You have to mm-hmm. make people aware that the things, the way that they're saying things is offensive, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> as an example. And then the last one is super interesting, ambition. You have to coach people 
to be ambitious. And what that really, really means is you have to pull it out of them, what they want, cultivate that into actual pursuit. You know, you have to actually coach ambition in people. And that kind of blew my mind. I, I never thought about it like that. Mm -hmm. And for a and lot of people, I don't think it gets, uh, it, it's very hard to get to that level, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, how do you, the, the best way to motivate someone is to, to let them essentially motivate themselves. Right. Right. And that's where ambition comes in. Yeah. And if, if they're feeling ambitious, they're going to go above and beyond what you're initially expecting. Right. That's that's kind of that idea, like, you know, leaders, uh, people describe leaders as like very inspirational, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's really what that means, is that they can say stuff that makes you, the listener, feel it deep down, and you start to cultivate that own, your own sense of ambition around that. You're like, yeah, I actually do want that. Holy crap. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, man. That's a good point. And, you know, that I'll be honest, that's the first time I've heard the three A's. <laughs> yeah, I um, there's there's a lot of those little tidbits there. And, and I love sharing those just because like they're they, they were really fun and easy ways for me to learn and to really think about like management just as a as a as a skill set, you know, mm -hmm. and a lot of it made sense. Just when I heard it, I was like, yeah, actually, that clicks. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. So 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 what do you do if you have an engineer who's completely okay with just getting the, the, the minimal amount of work done. That's that, what do you do? <laughs> that is the reality. That is the reality for so many people, right? So you as a leader, you have a choice to make. I can hold on to this person who is delivering. And by the way, these are both completely valid choices. You have an engineer who is already just, um, uh, producing, you mm -hmm. can keep them. You can keep them around. Deep down, you will know that they are not likely to be somebody who is going to become a quote-unquote superstar, right? Mm -hmm. But they're happy if they're happy, if they're content, and if they show, and if you try to curate that level of ambition in them, and they show that they don't have interest in it, then that's okay. That's a very real logical endpoint for for somebody in that particular company you know mm -hmm. you might still work with them and figure out like okay well you know are you interested in this like you can still come to them and bring new avenues that maybe mm -hmm. they haven't seen or maybe they haven't thought about and just to kind of revisit that and, and you know sometimes that changes sometimes it doesn't um but that's very real and some managers will go so far, depending on the company, as to start managing them out, right? Mm -hmm. And managing out is, isn't as scary as it sounds either. It could be as simple as saying like, hey, do you want to join a different team that's doing some really interesting stuff? Like, mm -hmm. I feel like you're kind of bored here. Do you want to do some of that? And again, if they say no, then you're like, okay, well, cool. <laughs> <laughs> See you on Monday, yeah. <laughs> but if they do... That's that's your decision as a manager to act on that however you will. Mm -hmm. What's the second outcome? Well, the second outcome, was... uh, sorry, the second outcome is that managing out side oh. of it. Uh, you either manage them either out of your team, 
onto a different project, onto a different team, onto a different part mm -hmm. of the org. Some people I have seen, they've been managed into like different roles entirely. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, I knew a couple of engineers who um, was who were managed out towards like machine learning and mm -hmm. data science. Uh, some really, really, really smart guys, uh, but they really liked a lot of the machine learning work or the, the aspects of machine learning. And so mm -hmm. they became, they went from like, you know, very accomplished platform backend engineers to data science and machine learning engineers. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that also means they fly the coop. They leave <laughs> the company and they find a new job entirely, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I've worked with a couple of people who, like I, I managed a, a gentleman who was exactly in that position. And we had a very frank conversation, you know, where it was like, hey, I think I'm going to look for a new company. And I told him, I was like, I fully respect that. I fully, completely respect that, you know, and mm -hmm. like, let me know how I can help you. Here's actually, I, I, I actually told him, I was like, so I'm going to start putting things in place so that you're not the linchpin in a lot of our discussions, conversations and things like that. So that, mm -hmm. you know, you don't feel tied to all of that while you're searching, you know, right. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, you know, I think part of, part of this discussion is also context specific <laughs> uh, with, with the person, because, you know, like you don't know what's happening in their personal life that might yeah. be driving them to, to sort of, I don't want to say plateau, but to, to just be happy with where they are. Right. Yeah. Now, right. Like if they've got a lot going on in their personal lives, they're not going to be as, as super starry at work because they're already dealing with a lot. And I think uh, a mark of a good manager is, is someone who's going to take that time to understand that person's motivations. Right? Yeah. Why, why, why the aspiration may not be there or if it is figuring out where, where it needs to go. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, very context specific. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it, it, I, people in leadership positions, they tend to, they tend to talk in a certain way. Um, and it, 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 what I mean by this is that they, they, they will ask you a lot of questions. They'll ask you a lot of questions because what they're really looking for is to see if you have the right framing of the problem. Um, mm -hmm. to, to go into a little bit more detail there, it's, it's kind of the difference between saying like, well, I'm really unhappy here because the process is really the process or the, the product or whatever. When they ask you questions about that. What they're really looking for is, are you understanding really what is making you unhappy here? Is it really the process or, or is that just the thing that you're going to point to? Or mm -hmm. is it really like a lack of control, you know, mm -hmm. a lack of control mm -hmm. over your own destiny of your own day, week, month, whatever it is, right. or is it a, uh, or is it just like a, a lack of interest in any of that? Right. Mm-hmm. The way that leaders yep. tend to talk, they want you to, they want to see if you are framing the problem correctly in your own mind, because depending on how you have that framed, the, the thing that you're pointing to, that's the pain point, it might not actually be it. Right. And they mm -hmm. could spend a whole bunch of money to try and fix that. And if you don't, if, if it wasn't the right pain point, that wouldn't help the situation at all. Right. You would still be unhappy, right. still all of those things. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Any, any last thoughts? I think, uh, <laughs> we, we might call it there. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, if you guys liked this, uh, if you guys like this talk, like leave a comment, uh, let us know, reach out. Uh, we we like to talk about a lot of different things that affect the real engineering life cycle, I guess, <laughs> the day to day of an engineer. And I think like hiring, interviewing, and all of that that's a very natural part of it. You know, mm -hmm. there's no there's nothing to be ashamed of. Yep. Yeah. Or or if you're feeling like you're not doing enough at work, that's okay too. Yeah. You know, that's that's a very real part of being an engineer. There are days, there are companies where you're happy and content, and then there are other ones where you, you're not. And for most of us, we grow from one to the next, right? Mm. All right, folks, cool. with that, I think that's uh, that we'll, we'll call it for the episode. So, yeah. Don't forget to tip your weight staff. <laughs> Have a great day, everybody. Day.